Hello, I'm Chris. This is CB Music Club. Do you want to introduce yourselves or should I do the honours? You can do the honours. I'll do the honours. Right, we've got Big Al. Hello there. And we've got Will. Hello. And we've got Nick. Hello. We're the CB Music Club. We are the CB Music Club. And uh, tonight Big Al's going to introduce an album that we're going to Before talk about. Before that though, um, oh, tell us what CB Music Club is. What is CB Music Club, Al? Well, CB Music Club is our usually Wednesday night get-together in this pandemic when we're all stuck at home, where we get on Zoom, we drink beer, and we talk about music. And we've got into the habit of one of us picking an album, taking it in turns, and we give that album a listen over a couple of weeks, and then we get together and talk about it, whether we like it or not. And yeah, we thought, let's do a podcast. So um, here we go, podcast number one. Before that, though, tell me, guys, what have you been listening to since we last spoke? What's happening in the world of music with each of you? Chris, you, Hello. have you got any new finds, any new discoveries? Well, I kind of, I've got a new toy, actually. I, it was my birthday this week. Of and course I it was, happy bought, birthday, I, yeah. I, I took the extreme step of buying myself a birthday present. <laughs> hey. Um, so I bought an Echo Studio, which is a, a super uh, Bluetooth speaker with very nice sound quality. Because mm-hmm. I'm starting, I've so much music on my phone and I kind of haven't really got a nice thing to listen to. So I just bounce it off of that. So I've just been playing with my new bit of kit this week and it does sound very, very sweet. Um, and I have um, been listening to, I'm trying to remember what is, <laughs> um, Nadine Shah, yes, Kitchen Sink, which is, uh, yeah, a kind of groovy album. Feels quite bonkers, a bit 70s, um, quite funky. When's that from? A is, that, uh, is that a recent thing? Yeah, it's recent, it's new, it's yeah. just out this year. Is it Kitchen Sink, as in the sink in the kitchen, or Kitch in Sink? A kitchen as in... The thing where you do your washing up, right, okay, sink. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's good. A little bit sort of, I don't know, a little bit Kate Bushy, a little bit Bat for Lashes, um, but quite a quite a big uh, music sound as well. Right. Um, Sounds very modern. Twisted. Which, I like it. Uh, for like, obviously like old it. dudes like us, it's nice to hear that someone's listening to something remotely contemporary. What about you, Nick? Well, I've also you, been listening anything? to songs in the key of life by Stevie Wonder, so it hasn't all been all contemporary. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, anything exciting to tell us about? Well... Aside from this week's album, I have been listening to a few things. I've been a bit obsessed with Michael Kiwanuka's last album uh, since he won the Mercury Prize. I've been listening to that a lot and very much enjoying that. What else have I been listening to? I got some new vinyl. I got an album called The Green Door Sessions by an Edinburgh guy called Callum Easter, which I've been listening to a lot as well. He is sort of a can I think he played keyboards with Young Fathers and uh, has been doing his own stuff the last couple of uh, years and he'd released stuff on Lost Map Records and I'd picked up and that is very, very good. Um, and Teenage Fan Club have got a new single out which came out, I think, yesterday. Yes, I, I, I actually listened to it yesterday. Uh, yeah, um, and quite enjoyed that. Apparently there's a new album coming in March. Will, what about yourself? Have you had any exciting music to tell us about? Well, I heard about this kind of exciting new sort of band of kind of, um, you know, these cats from London. Um, and <laughs> they released an album called Dark Side of the Moon. And I thought, I'll give that a listen. Because uh, I'd heard about them for a while. and The uh, cats, you see. Yeah, the cats. <laughs> I kind of 
resisted listening to Pink Floyd for, for a long, long time. And I'm, I'm not exactly sure why. Something to do probably with the Northern Soul rock music wars of the mid-70s. Yeah, it just wasn't anything that I expected. I expected sort of kind of a heavy, progressive sound and far from it. Quite enjoyable, in fact. I would recommend well, this album. You know, weirdly, I, I hate Pink Floyds, and not for any good reason. You know, I'm like that about a lot of things, as I'm sure you all know. Um, and I hate Pink Floyd. I've never listened to Dark Side of the Moon. I know Money's on it, isn't it? Is that on? Um, yes. yes, it yes. is. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I thought, that's, quite, I can't believe... I mean, that's quite a good song. And Us and Them, that's a fantastic song. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're the only two songs I know from the album, I think. And, and I, like, I think they're both good, but I hate Pink Floyd. So and I, I don't, it doesn't make any sense. I'm a bit like that about a lot of stuff. I'm sure if I listened to it, I'd like it. I'm like that with people. I, I hate everyone until I meet them. Then I think usually they're great. No I thought everyone had listened to Dark Side of the Moon. I've never listened I'm amazed. To I'm in a room with two people that haven't heard it. I just thought it was one of those albums that everyone had listened to. The last time I listened to it and... I've not listened to it that much. Was it Dynamic Earth? In their dome, they showed an animated film in this 360 dome with the album playing. That was pretty cool. Sounds lovely, yeah. You maybe I'll get, I, I mean, I know I won't because I hate Pink Floyd, but I, I should really give it a listen, see what I think of it. Because obviously this whole music club thing is opening my ears to a lot of music that I don't know, like classic albums and people that I think I hate, and I maybe don't quite as much as... I mean, I, I hate 70s music, that's the thing. And again, I don't really base that on anything rational. Um, <laughs> that's quite a broad sweep yeah, of music. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, know. I, I, there, there is a lot of... There is a certain... There's a certain type of 70s music that I dislike, but equally 70s music is... Uh, funk, funk is amazing. Yeah, I know, I know. And you'd have to discount the whole annals of funk if yeah, you... Yeah, I really um, like, like proper disco era disco as well. Yeah. One of my neighbours was playing Boney M really loudly this morning and I was getting quite into it. Because Boney M were great. I mean, you know, really good pop songs, really well played. So I like that. I really like Thin Lizzy. So, you know, I do like some music from the 70s. But, like... Between sort of bridge over troubled water and parallel lines is like a sort of dead zone to me uh, of music. <laughs> um, I don't know very much of it, and I just assume that I don't like it because I've never heard it. Uh -huh. But uh, I suspect I might be wrong about an awful lot about it. One, I mean, you know, I'm always banging on about how much I, I what I think of like the sound of albums and how they're recorded. And uh, the '70s are kind of a, like a pinnacle uh, of good sounding records, and yet I won't listen to any of them. This <laughs> guy, <laughs> <laughs> I'm an idiot. Um, but you knew that already as well. Um, yeah, I've never thought of Boney, Boney M as being a breakfast, breakfast band. No, but well, I, I didn't get up that early this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it was still morning. Ah, ah. Yeah, I, I, was having a, I was having a bit of a, um, a carryover last night from Scotland's victory on Thursday. And I just decided that I was going to buy a couple of bottles of wine and drink them. So um, I had a bit of a late start this morning, a bit of a fuzzy head. Bonnie M helped get me on the right track. Well, um, it's fair enough, because you're unlikely to um, qualify for a major tournament for another 20 years. Nah, we'll be at them all from now on, Will. All of them, no problem. Um, <laughs> oh, you're on a roll now, aren't you? Well, do you know, I, I, um, unusually, I've, I've actually been listening to some uh, reasonably new music. It's certainly new to me, uh, as well as, obviously, old music. Um, an awful lot of my music listening is on YouTube. And um, I've been listening to a lot of Throwing Muses and The Breeders 
and the sort of uh, women fronting bands thing. Uh, also, a, a new band I've discovered are Deep Sea Diver. Do any of you know Deep Sea Diver? I don't know them. They're uh, Jessica Dobson, the woman who fronts them, and who is basically the she is deep sea diver. Really, she's a sort of the creative force, as far as I can tell. She was on a, a like a, a channel on YouTube that I subscribed to, JHS Pedals, and Josh Scott of JHS was uh, was interviewing her about her gear, basically the pedals she uses, the guitar she uses, and she was just really charming and and you know smart and funny. And then he played some music, and it was good. So I've been listening to some deep sea diver and. Um, yeah, they are. They are now. They are current, and it's very unlike me to be listening to music um, even from this decade. Never mind this year. And um, yeah, I'd recommend them very highly. Uh, I haven't listened to any album in, in its totality, so I can't recommend an album. But uh, I do recommend Deep Sea Diver, and she's cool. Do you think you'll be listening to music from the twenty twenties? In 10 years' time, are you kind of just on a sort of 10-year lag or do you think no music in the last 10 years has been any good and that won't change, that's why you haven't listened to any recent stuff? No, I, I, I'm sure there's absolutely tons of, of great music around. Um, <clears throat> I just, weirdly, because of, um, I, I spend so much of my time sort of working on music uh, myself that I don't, it's not that I don't have time to listen to music, I just don't have the sort of mental energy to listen to other stuff very much. And so I don't actually listen to very much music. And, uh, and I'm talking about how, you know, I bought this Fire TV stick and I'm watching YouTube all the time. And it's actually been a bit of a godsend in that respect because I don't watch a lot of TV, but when I like sit down with a cup of coffee or something and taking a break from work and stick the TV on and just flick through and see what it's recommending to me. And, you know, watch quite a lot of music videos that way. And some of those are, I mean, most of those are stuff that I know already, but um, you do find some stuff you don't know and it's quite nice. So. And then, of course, the algorithm's terrible and uh, it keeps recommending stuff I don't like. Funny enough, uh, I can't get it to stop recommending me My Bloody Valentine. That's your fault, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone should listen to My Bloody Valentine. I just realised we've inadvertently um, placed two products already so far in our first podcast. Your Amazon Fire Stick and my Echo Studio. So, <laughs> not intentional. We're not trying to plug and we're not receiving any... Uh, um, <laughs> complimentary products from Amazon at all. Not that, not that they wouldn't be welcome. <laughs> if they'd like to send us some, they'd be more than welcome and we'll leave our address at the end of the podcast. So thank you very much, Mr Bezos. So Nick, what are you drinking tonight? So what are you, what are you drinking? Because like, obviously that's a big thing, isn't it? It's well, not just about the music. Exactly, it's what are you drink, the, what are drinking? It's about the booze that we drink together. What, what's that, Nick? No name. <laughs> drinking no, oh, no name well. wine. <laughs> <laughs> is that a French, a, a French Sauvignon Blanc? It's a French Sauvignon. Yeah. I'm all right with French Sauvignon. I prefer Chilean. Really? Yep. So I prefer New Zealand, but I take French after New Zealand like a Bordeaux. Yeah, I don't Sauvignon. really like New Zealand wine. I find it a bit tasteless. This is a bit of Sancerre territory. This is pretty good, I'd say. <laughs> Ooh, get you. Ooh. <laughs> are, you still, uh, are you still on the wagon? Will? I am. So it's um, Bundaberg ginger beer. I like ginger beer. I, I, I'm a big fan of alcoholic ginger beer as well. Would that be Krabby's alcoholic ginger beer? No, I mean, I, I don't mind the Krabby's, but I, I, there's one that I bought a couple of times uh, from uh, online from a vendor whose name I can't remember, so no more product placement for the time being. Uh, and I, I can't remember the name of the ginger beer either, but it's Australian, and um, it's just spectacularly good. It's not like overly sweet and sickly like the Krabby's can be. It's amazing. I could drink like a dozen of them just, and you know, like it, like it's a soft drink, and, and then obviously be completely hammered because it's you know it's like four percent alcohol. I do like that uh, Bundaberg 
ginger beer. That is very good mm. stuff, Will. Particularly with some rum in it. <laughs> yeah, dark rum and ginger beer. It's that, it's that time of year for dark, dark rum and stories. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of the rum and ginger beer. It's, uh, it's a favourite. Uh, been a while. I find it when, quite when dangerous. When I get down to size 12 in a dress size, then I'll start with the rum in it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do find the rum in it's quite dangerous because the ginger beer has such a strong flavour. You can drink it very strong. And uh, oh. yeah, What are you drinking, Chris? I'm back onto Guinness. Yeah, I, for, Guinness. I used to drink Guinness a long time ago. Beer's been making me, beer's been not agreeing with me, with me, with me belly for the last few months. Um, and there's only so much wine and whiskey you can drink. So I needed a beer that was less fizzy. Yeah, I remember <laughs> Guinness because it's kind of um, flat and fruity, and it's it's kind of um, it's very nice, especially with winter coming on. Yeah. My grandmother got Guinness on prescription when she was <laughs> pregnant with my father, along with. <laughs> 20 Rothmans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, apparently my grandfather got to drink it because she didn't like it. But. Oh. <laughs> I'm back on the uh, the Bad Company American IPA. It's just a very good oh. beer. I can recommend that. Is very that not another 70s Bad uh, Company? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we should probably talk about this album that we've been listening to then, shouldn't we? The album of the week is uh, Bruce Springsteen, Darkness in the Edge of Town um, from 1978 very much in my uh, dark ages of music. And yeah, it was me that chose it. I'd given the task to pick an album from the Rolling Stone, uh, the new list of their top 500 albums of all time, something from the top 100 and that. And I've got to say that I did find the list somewhat uninspiring. It's a bit too sort of 70s centric, I suppose, uh, and uh, sort of US centric for my tastes. But um, I made the decision to go with something that is, you know, that, that is a proper American classic, I suppose, but also something that I didn't know. And, uh, you know, my short list was that was Darkness in the Edge of Town and also um, I was considering Born to Run as well, uh, Springsteen's previous album to that and also Neil Young after the Gold Rush and Bob Dylan Highway 61 Revisited and the reason I went for Darkness in the Edge of Town is because I believed at the time that I didn't know any of the songs from it that I'd never heard any of it before so going in with a completely open mind completely fresh although it turned out that that actually wasn't the case. Springsteen's a funny one with me as well because I... I'm very fond of the idea of Bruce Springsteen and I think that he is a great guy but I've never listened to that much music by him and that that I have listened to I'd always felt was uh, just a wee bit boring. I think the only album I'd, I'd ever listened to start to finish was uh, Born in the USA and although I do like I think some of the songs on it are fantastic. I mean, I'm on Fire is wonderful. I really like Cover Me as well and Dancing in the Dark. But it's not a particularly good album. It suffers, you know, it's, it's very much of its time in a bad way. And, I, and you know, Springsteen just has this sort of um, critical acclaim about him that I just don't really get. For all that, I, I like the idea of him, as I say. I, I just, I never got Springsteen. So it just seemed like a chance to listen to, obviously, one of his two classic albums and just, you know, what the hell do I think of it? And um, it's quite, I mean, there's an interesting background to it because obviously it was his first album as a superstar because, you know, Born to Run sort of made him an overnight sort of sensation after, after like, you know, a decade in the business or something like that. And he wasn't able to release another album for three years because he was in a, a legal dispute with his manager. Not over money, weirdly enough, although I think the, the money was a factor, but it was mainly over sort of creative control of his career. He wanted to, his manager was also his producer and he wanted to work with a different producer on his next album. And there was this uh, year-long legal battle over whether he would be allowed to do that, which he obviously prevailed eventually. So a year later than intended, went into the studio to record this 
this album and you know he'd done what you what you'd hope a musician would do in that time and he'd just written like an absolute shed load of material Um, he had 70 songs complete apparently and recorded during the sessions in in total 52 of those songs and then whittled that down to the 10 that are actually on the album and he chose the songs not as the best 10 songs but the songs that thematically went together you know because he wanted to do an album about, uh, I mean, I guess the the you know blue collar working life and and people, you know, sort of I guess you know factory workers trapped in their life with no hope of ever escaping from the drudgery of the hard work and uh, you know the the hard living and going around it and um, yeah, it's I just think that's amazing to record fifty two songs. I mean, and I, amongst the songs that weren't actually finished as well was because of the night which um, was given to Patti Smith, oh, really? right? um, which is obviously wow. her biggest set and is one of his most famous songs, weirdly enough. And, you know, that, was, that wasn't even completed. You know, it was abandoned. That's how, I guess, how strong the, the pool of material you had to choose from. And yeah, so what I'd be interested to know, you guys, what was your, you know, what was your first, not what will you think of the album now, but what was your first impression of it when you, uh, when you first listened to it? Will, let's start with you. What did you think when Badlands cracked on? Yeah, we, we didn't get off to a very good start. Is that right? Because I thought, if I can, because I do like to predict, um, I thought you'd probably like this one, Will, but not love it. I thought, Nick, you'd probably like this a lot. And I thought Chris would probably not like it very much. Oh, but who knows? Because you've surprised me before. Yeah, the well, first yeah. first track, um, Badlands, um, you know, it was very meat- meatloaf. Um, <laughs> and they, they put out sort of A Head of Hell in 77. Um, so I just wonder whether, you know, there's any influence here. Um, so kind of, I was expecting a kind of classic Springsteen experience and I'm not even sure what I mean by that. Um, maybe a sort of born to run thing and Badlands came on, uh, which isn't a bad song, but it was just kind of really weird. But, um, after that, you know, kind of very much warmed to it. I mean, there's a couple of songs that are my absolute favorites on it. And there's a couple of songs that I'm not sure about. Nick, what was your, uh, what, what was about you, your first impressions? What you? So this was an album by Bruce Springsteen that I didn't know. Well, yeah, that, that's actually something I meant to, sorry, I'm, I'm butting in again, but uh, I had meant to say, none of us knew this album before, am I right? It, it was no. new to all of us, yeah? Yeah, it yeah. was, new to me. well, so it's that thing where I knew some of the songs right. when I started to listen to it because I'd listened to a later live compilation right. album which I picked up on cassette in our, our record fair at some point in the mid to late 80s and really fell in love with because it seemed to capture Bruce Springsteen live experience very well and that's you know these big shows so that was kind of this double album and I had various of these songs on it the first thing I would have heard would have been Born to Run that album and then I'd listened to a few later on and I'd gone back and listened to his first two albums and really liked those, but I then hadn't gone on and listened to either Born to Run or Darts on the Edge of Town, so they were both kind of new to me, weirdly. I really like his second album. Uh, That was a big favourite of mine, but I didn't know this album, and so I was looking forward to it, and and I I enjoyed it. Badlands is not my (laughs) favourite tune, but actually it's, it's one of those things that I think when you hear live versions pretty rousing yeah i i actually today i did actually listen to a live version of it and uh, yeah it's pretty spectacular i have to say more generally i really i really enjoyed 
the album, and it was only some, on repeat listens that I've realised that what I really like is the first side of the album. I think that is mm. absolutely spectacular. But I'm not quite as struck on the second side if we were doing the right. doing listen to it on vinyl. Badlands is good start, but then there's a, the run of four songs after that are just fantastic. I really, really enjoyed those. Yeah, Chris, what do you think? Yeah, well, I've, I kind of, um, again, didn't know the album. I didn't really know much Springsteen other than all the kind of big hits from the 80s, which was my first introduction to him. And I kind of, I never really got the irony of Born in the USA. I just, hmm. in my, as my whatever I was, I don't know what was that, kind of 83 kind of type time. 84, so yeah, 84, then, yeah. so I was sort of... 13 and just kind of saw a kind of um, wrapped in the stars and stripes strutting across stage with a guitar kind of machismo kind of rock kind of American dream sort of thing didn't really get the um, the, the sort of Vietnam vet irony of the whole song mm. so just really kind of had him as this sort of star-spangled banner wielding guitar wielding sort of American rock god which just wasn't something that interested me at all but then kind of in recent years, I kind of come slowly to the conclusion that it was probably a bit more interesting than that and I had more time for him. But I still had never really listened to any of his music. So I did come to this album blind. And I, I can't... <laughs> it didn't grab me on first... It didn't grab me on first listen at all, really. I think, I think it probably was... An, again, I think I probably listened to the first four tracks and then just turned it off and then came back to it. And it, I kind of want to like it, but I don't. Really, and I kind of as each track I've, I've listened to it lots and lots of times. Each track comes on, and I think, Oh, actually, this one's quite good, and it starts quite good. But then by the end of it, I'm just really bored of that track. And then that one comes on, I think, Oh, no, actually, this one's quite good. But then by the end of it, again, it's just there's a couple of tracks that I really like on the album, but as a whole, it, it just find it a bit dull and a bit plodding. Hmm. I, I kind of echo a lot of what you guys have said there. Um, Myself, one, one one thing particularly, what you're saying, Nick, about it being a, an album of two halves, that it is very much. And like the first time I listened to it was the only time I listened to it all the way through, because it doesn't run as like a single thing. It's, it's two separate programs, as it were, that aren't meant to be listened together. Really, you know, you're meant to have a few minutes to like go and turn the vinyl over or whatever. It's, it's very much released for vinyl. And, and it strikes me that, um, you remember when we talked about Rumours, the last album we did, and one of the things I was complaining about Rumours was that I thought the track list, you know, the, the programming was terrible and uh, the order of the songs was just d didn't make any uh -huh. sense to me. Uh, whereas this album it strikes me as, as being, there's a lot of thought has gone into the order that these songs are going on the album. They, you know, both sides start very positively and finish very negatively. And it's almost, you know, the whole, I guess the whole theme of like the life dragging you down is 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 being described on each side of the album. And I agree with you, Nick, that uh, I think the, well, one thing that struck me actually before that, um, when it started, it was like, this is much more rock than I expected it to be. You know, the first two songs are, are really quite big and rowdy and particularly Adam Raised the Cane, you know, track two, it's, uh, you know, it's a proper noisy rock and blues song. And uh, I was... I was quite surprised by that. Yeah, that that song for me uh, is a Nick Cave song. <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> agree with that. That's just that's that's, that's <laughs> even the title. That, yeah, yeah, that should have been. In fact, you could hear Nick Cave doing it. Yeah, I think part of it is the Old Testament kind yeah. of obviously lyricism of yeah, it, yeah. but it does feel the delivery is Nick Cave. The the cold cold kind yes, of. Yes, I agree. Um, <laughs> the the phrasing is it's a big. 
bluesy scream of a song. But I, I heard a lot of sort of rhythm and blues in there, not not just blues. I thought there was some kind of soul elements into it. I know you don't like genre. That was putting stuff into genres and labeling stuff, but I, 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 I just couldn't really decide what it was. Mm. It's not rock. It's Did not you mean the blues, album as a whole? Not, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't, didn't really know where. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know what genre it would be put in. Roots rock. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Mm. Springsteen. But it strikes me that, that, that this album is very Springsteen. It, it, it seems to fit into what I've understood Springsteen is supposed to be in a way that I'd yeah. never mm. heard before. Um, it kind of makes sense now, you know, like him as a storyteller and all, and, you know, his stories about sort of the working class man and, and their trials and tribulations. It's the first time I really get Springsteen and I understand why the critics love him so much, I suppose. These are some pretty, you know, strong stories, well told, and some of them are quite affecting, I have to say. But it, it turns out, though, that I was wrong about never having heard any of the songs before. I, I'm sure that uh, when he played at uh, Glastonbury that uh, that he played Badlands, it might even have been the first song, because I, I think I'd heard that before. And I know for a fact that I'd heard Racing in the Streets before, uh, Racing in the Street, rather, but I didn't know it from its title. But as soon as it came on, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard this. There are certain ones that sound like other there, there was one the penultimate song Prove Prove All Night that sounds like Hungry Heart yeah well it's funny because he, he, he used the Hungry Heart sort of melody line in that and it also appears in Darkness at the Edge of Town on the guitar sort of break yeah. in there so yeah I noticed that too funny Racing in the Street also had echoes of and I can't quite place mm. which one it was but another more recent or more kind of 80s um, Springsteen mm. song so they kind of sounded familiar because they had echoes of what he went on to do later but I kind of I know the storytelling stuff and the, the poeticism um, The what? Is poeti- poetry sorry <laughs> lyricism and poetry um, of his songwriting um, is something that he is renowned for but I kind of I started finding it cliched but only really because it's, it, it, this is probably the, this is the first album that he started singing about the kind of working class life mm. but that's kind of what he's known and famed for and I suppose knowing that that was what he came yeah, to be associated with there was just you know every uh, references to you know more it's another kind of all factories and blue jeans and blue collar workers and rust belt and it's just just know, yeah, one I get that. springsteen cliche after another <laughs> it, yeah, it is but it's it's kind of it's it's a bit like when we were listening to what was the country one you gave us a few weeks ago nick the lucinda williams one yes lucinda williams my one of the problems that i have with springsteen is his, his, his he's singing about a life that i have no connection with that kind of blue collar rust belt american I can't relate to it. It doesn't. He's not. It's not talking to me. It's not talking to my life because it is, and it's not obviously the 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 just the American bit of it because that it's it's quite it's quite culturally specific mm. and isn't really something that translates across the pond. Working class life in America isn't anything like working class life in Britain. Yeah. I'm quite drawn to the sort of Americana aspects of of the songs, like, you know, Racing in the Street. And I I, I was kind of feeling it, and then I kind of thought, well, if that was happening here, it would be some chavs in uh, souped-up courses (laughs) going up and down the road, and I'd be throwing bottles at them. But here, you know, it's romantic, it's it's lovely. um, (laughs) um... Well, you say it's romantic and lovely. Um, Yeah. (laughs) 
I'm not sure the, those are the words I'd choose to describe it. But yeah, I mean, I, I get that, Chris, and I, I, do, I do agree about it is difficult to relate to because it, it's not my life. Although one of the things we argue about, particularly you and me, Chris, is like you're the lyrics guy and I'm the music guy, and uh, and I don't really care about lyrics as long as they're not terrible. But I do think that some of the lyricism on this album is really quite fantastic, and it does make the songs better. Yeah, and it's very sad. I don't know why I get I d- it's it's something that matters to me more as you get older. <laughs> I love reading and I will read about anything. I will read a novel about anything and kind of the more exotic and unfamiliar the setting and the the, 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 the events, the more interesting I find it. But music, I like it to be more relatable. And I don't know why there is that difference. Well, they're, they're not the same thing. Well, they are because it's storytelling, isn't it? If I'm purely reducing it down to the storytelling and the content of the story, I like my literature to be as far removed as my... Well, not always, but... I really enjoy literature that is absolutely nothing like my life, but whereas songs, I much prefer stuff that... But it's a different way of telling tells... stories. I mean, a, a song can't, can, can't tell you as much as a book can, and it has to, you know, it has to be much more condensed. And... Yeah, I suppose so it's, it's not, more it's immediate not the same kind thing. of... Um... Um, and also, it's not just about the words. I mean, the music's important as well, so... You know, it's, it's not the same thing. So it's not, you know, it, it's not particularly surprising that you should react differently to... The different things are different, so it's all right. Don't worry about it. Uh, is that okay? Yeah, it's, that it's okay? fine. I'm not sure. It just it's seems okay. too. It seems too um, judgmental for me. I need to be. I'm too. I'm too closed minds. Uh, not everything can be about Sutton. Um, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, listening to this album, his voice wasn't the voice I was expecting. It. It was. It seemed strained and strangled some of the time. And it was only it was only in that racing in the street that his voice loosened up for me, and then that was you know the boss's voice, the boss's sound. But the 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 the, the, the sort of vocals before then, so the first four songs seemed a little bit sort of tight in his chest. I wondered whether he was just nervous when he's recording them. Not if he's recorded. Seventy, I have many. I quite like his voice, he's, actually. I like his vocal delivery. It's yeah, so good. Strong. Going for it, and Adam raised the cane. He really the is. Next, yeah. The next song, something in the night. That wailing at the end. Oh, I know the start. I think that wailing. That's, at, at I first, think that's fantastic. At first, I was like, "Oh, what's he doing?" But then it's like there is genuine anguish and pain in that. You know, it really is. Yeah. And, well, since since we're talking about that one, when he just breaks it down to, is it the kick drum and what I presume yeah. is a floor tom? But what a terrible sound. <laughs> you know, it was like kind of dump boing, dump boing. I, well, do you know, I, actually, that is a thing I thought about this. Uh, I'm always banging on about the sound, yada, yada, and how, like, the 70s, everything's so amazingly recorded. But actually, this album isn't particularly good sounding, certainly compared to, you know, the music of its time. And I think, you know, he was a major star at this point. So, it, you know, there would have been a budget there. So I don't quite understand why. But yeah, it's not particularly good. But it doesn't bother me. It doesn't, it's not particularly bad sounding either. So it doesn't bother me. Yeah. Apparently, I'd, I'd gone down a sort of Max Weinberg rabbit hole when I was reading about this, and, and apparently, trying to get, they'd spent a lot of time trying to get 
a more resonant drum sound and they'd really struggled with it and they couldn't get it. That was one of the things that they were not happy about with this album was the drum sound and, and they never got it right but mm. sort of managed to figure it out for the next time round. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I don't think the drums sound that good and good drums are, are a 70s hallmark so I, th- I thought that was a bit odd. At this point in his career, was it was the E Street Band, was he playing with the E Street yeah. Band or did they... Yeah, so he... Uh, he, he so this was a fetch with the E Street Band. So they, I mean, he, they, he played with them from the start. Right. Um, uh-huh. The first two albums and then there was a couple of personnel changes in the E Street Band. Um, so Born to Run and, and Darts and the Edge of Town were certainly the kind of classic... That was the start of the classic E Street Band lineup. So, I forgot. I forgot the name of the sax player. Um, Clarence Clemens. Yeah, yeah. I was I was really pleased that in um, the the Promised Land when he made an appearance because I'm thinking, where's the sax? Where's the sax? Because you know, well, apparently, part of it. Apparently, there was a conscious decision by Springsteen that that, that this is going to be an album with guitar solos rather than sax solos. So ah. Clarence, he is he also does percussion and backing vocals, so it's not like he's not on the songs at all, but hmm. um, he's not as present ah, um, so as at other times. Yeah. Well, it was a decision. Um, it was just a that thing, I was album. expecting it, and it, it wasn't there, so it was mm. almost a yay moment yeah. when, he, when he came in. But in a, in a very lower key, like a yay moment. Not His second album is The Wild, The Innocent, and The E Street Shuffle, and uh, that's much, there's, you know, there's much more kind of saxophone. There's, those first two albums are slightly uh-huh. different from this. He'd gone quite rocky with... I suppose Born to Run and then uh, Darkness and Edge of Town, but those two were much more R&B kind of stuff going on then, I think. All right, yeah. And, yeah. and so just to go back to my Max Weinberg thing, so um, he was also he then went on to when after he dis after Springsteen disbanded the the E Street Band, um, he then went on to be the the band leader for the Conan O'Brien show. And so he was kind of regularly on that and had this big role chatting away to Conan Brown for years um, and then went back to the E Street Band when, he, when they reformed and started touring, was doing both for a while before he went on. But his son, uh, Jay Weinberg, um, is the drummer in Slipknot. Ah. <laughs> and uh, apparently um, he, while his dad was on tour, had picked up the drums and taught himself to do and become really, really good, really fast. Started playing in, in metal bands and his father was very proud, but uh, apparently Bruce Springsteen had happened to see him playing with another band in the club and went, Are you, Jay, you Max's son, well, you're pretty good at that. And so invited him to come and play a couple of songs when they were playing in New York at some point, which he did. And then there was some clash where his dad was playing, he was doing some shows with Conan O'Brien, couldn't get away to tour with Springsteen. So the son took over for the tour and he was still sort of college age. So there was this, I was watching this on YouTube, this great little video where the two of them are in some drum shop and they're being interviewed about it. And uh, apparently Springsteen had handed him, you know, recording of 200 songs which he had to learn for the tour and then you know he'd sort of said to start well they decided he'd sit down with his dad and his dad would show him kind of how to play and he he said apparently it was like teaching your son to drive they fell out almost immediately (laughs) (laughs) dad had to back off and just let him learn learn them on his own which he did but apparently the son now is is one two modern drummer drummer of the year awards is regarded as one of the best drummers in the world Wow. Anyway, there you go. I like those kind of stories. 
you know, you, you've reminded me of, a, of another Bruce Springsteen story that I heard like, last week. Um, I was watching an interview with uh, a recent interview with Susanna Hoffs from the Bangles. And she was talking about when they got signed. Uh, I can't remember which label it was that signed them. So it was after they they put out like the first EP on IRS Records or whatever. And they had uh, you know, a couple of A&R men interested. And A&R men was coming down to see them playing some show in Los Angeles. And he brought Bruce Springsteen with him. <laughs> <laughs> unbeknownst to the band so they're, they're these like you know they're only like early 20s they're just you know practically just still girls you know on the stage bouncing around rocking out uh, unaware that they have like rock royalty in their small audience watching them <laughs> <laughs> until after they finish playing and uh, you know they got to meet Springsteen and all and um, it seems that he gave them the nod and they got signed another great Bruce Springsteen story pal and mine and I we were in Belfast years ago and went there's a famous pub there called The Crown. We had gone, had a few pints, and this is ancient pub, several hundred years old and quite atmospheric. We were sitting at the bar having a drink and the barman was, was chatting to us and telling us stories about all the famous people that would come and visit this legendary bar. And there was a story about um, Bono going to visit, sitting in a corner having a drink and some tourist coming in and uh, sort of said, is that is that? And he's like, yeah, it is, yeah, yeah, it's Bono. And he's, oh, do you think you would mind if uh, I went over and said hello and got a photograph? So he said, yeah, yeah, go over and ask him. So he just went over and had a nice chat with Bono and uh, got the, the guy that was with Bono to take a photograph of them together and came back over to the bar so that was amazing that was fantastic he said the barman said oh yeah yeah you know he's pretty good he comes in here quite a bit and he's always great with with other people come coming and interrupting it's fine he said did you get bruce springsteen's photograph as well and he's like what do you mean and he said that's who he was with <laughs> 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 and you, can, you can't go back, can you? You can't go back. <laughs> well, no, they left, apparently they left after that. <laughs> yeah, so he'd ask Bruce Springsteen to take yeah. a picture of him with Bono. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Humiliation. Oh, it took it well. Anyway, the album, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, back to the album. You mentioned, the, you album. mentioned the, the in Somewhere in the Night, the, the breakdown with uh, Will, you were saying. And yeah. It's got that, it's got the, the Halblane, Be My Baby drums, boom, boom, boom. There's quite, <laughs> there, there's a lot of that harking back to to older songs on the album. Uh, like Badlands, um, it starts with Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. It's in a major key, not a major key, but you know, Springsteen is on record as saying that he stole that from that song. Because like thematically they're similar or whatever I don't know, but yeah, it is a it is a lift, uh, and it's done very skillfully in a way that yeah. can't be taken to court because you put it, you know, you change it to a major key, it's not the same tune. But you know, there's that, and like um, racing in the street has there's at least three examples in that Crocodile Rock. There's a Phil Spector one as well, dum, da, da, and then he kissed me. That, so that's there as yeah. well. It's got bits well. of dancing in the street to it. Yeah, as well, well that, that's the, actually the, the other one. Yes, I mean it references the lyrics of that quite a lot, doesn't it? Uh -huh. uh, yeah, obviously quite deliberately. Yeah. There's a, there's a line yep. about you know calling out around the world, for example. Um, I don't know if if any of you guys noticed that going on, and uh, is it actually a thing, or am I just imagining it? No, I, I kind of, I kind of saw or heard more to the point. 
those little references all over it. I mean, um, the, 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 the final track, for instance, you know, uh, Darkness at the Edge of Town, whoever was the bassist was channeling James Jameson, Jameson, sorry. And then it had the Hungry Heart sort of um, guitar. Break. Yeah, but that's that's more sort of harking back to the future. So are these are these little bits? Are they homage? Well, that's what are I'm they nods, tributes, or are they just just nicking? Or is it just because they're so immersed in that music that they play it without really? I mean, we do it, don't yeah. we? We, yeah. we we have little riffs yeah. that we don't realise we've nicked from something else until yeah, I usually we played it a bit, and then suddenly you think, actually, that's. Uh... <laughs> I, I think uh, Springsteen's quite overt about it as well. I've sort of. Seen interviews where he's talked openly about skillfully stealing yeah, from yeah. other things. I, I just wonder whether whether that's like a deliberate part of the whole theme of the album is sort of harking back to better times, uh, like possibly imaginary better times as well. Because, like, I mean, like Crocodile Rock. I mean, whether it's deliberately copying Crocodile Rock and Racing Street, I don't know. But you'd think so because it is the same little melody. And Crocodile Rock itself is a song about nostalgically looking back to better times, yeah. isn't it? I don't know, it's just a, it's a thing I noticed. You know, I'm not I'm not a rock critic. I don't do theme. I just uh, <laughs> I just talk about the, the structure and the dynamics. I, I think things are nicked, definitely. And and there's a long line of incredibly successful artists that you know, have openly said. Um, I mean, I read Elvis Costello's autobiography um, a couple of years ago, and the first three or four chapters were just him saying, yeah, we um, went down the market, we got these records, we took them back home, we listened to them, we took the good bits and then created new songs. And he was actually kind of laying out his, his methodology almost, you know. Yeah. And that's someone who was a god to me, you know, Elvis Costello. You know, there's, so, there's plenty of uh, extremely unsuccessful artists, uh, such as myself, guilty of the same. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, not quite so skillful. As, keep uh, waiting, keep wishing. You never know. But in whatever seventy years of rock history, there's only twelve notes to choose from. There's bound to be some repetition along of course, the way, isn't yeah. there? And, I, you know, deliberately referencing back previous works is, is something that occurs in all forms of art as well, isn't it? We're all influenced mm. by something, so... And it's sometimes good to to you wear your influences on the sleeve as well. So, yeah, it's yeah. good. But I, I just thought that was an interesting aspect of it because the, the, the whole, I don't know, the whole, there is this desperation about the album and, and that idea of sort of looking back to better times. Um, I mean, that's what Brexit's all about, isn't it? People like pretending that things are better <laughs> in the past. Why can't we be like that? <laughs> Um, you know, you laugh, but I don't mean that as a joke. I mean, there is a no, sort of I know. nostalgic are we gonna to, desperation. Are we going to have to cut that out? Like, like, <laughs> waiting for Springsteen's Brexit album. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there is, there is, people do have this yearning for better times past that, that I'm not convinced ever existed. And, and, and I wonder if that is, you know, one of Springsteen's themes. It's certainly something I took from the album anyway, uh, whether or not it was intended. So anyway, um, we talked about what we thought of it as first. What's your what's your view on it now that you've listened to it like a billion times like Chris has? Give us give us the lowdown. Nick, you're you're volunteering to tell us what what your final word is on it. No, I, I, I think, as I said earlier, I think the first half of it really stood out for me and that's the bit where I've been sort of, I've been listening to it as a whole, and then gone back and listened to, and it was that the run of songs, particularly from Radom Raised the Cane through to Racing in the Street, that I really, really liked. And the two songs, Adam Raised the Cane and Something in the Night, the vocal delivery on those were really arresting for me, particularly Something in the Night. My favourite actually is Candy's Room. 
Yeah, I and think it was brilliant. I yeah. think that's just <laughs> fantastic. My favourite is also Candy's. Yeah. It's 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 Bandy. wonderful and uh, completely unexpected as well Candy's Room when it came on it, it's, uh-huh. it's a bit oddball yeah, yeah. and I yeah. like a bit oddball it doesn't fit the rest of the album it's the only one with real energy in it and it's the only one that's not kind of just it changes as it goes through and it just it's it's surprising yeah. it, it continues I mean, to surprise yeah. just, you know, the one, one for me um, one of the things that really struck me was the drumming on it Mm. Is just this single stroke roll all the way through, which is just totally kind of unexpected, but is remarkable. Absolutely it's also remarkable. it's there's only two songs on the album that are really like short, and that's one of them, isn't it? <laughs> Runs very long, isn't it? Racing, Racing in the, the streets, street is very long. It's about seven minutes. Yeah. It's not as long as it should be, but we'll get to that in a moment. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Candy's Room, yeah, it's a real standout. I think that on the first Mm -hmm. listen, although I had heard a couple of songs before, so they don't really count, but that was the one that was new to me that, yeah, I was like, oh, wow, this is good. Gave me a very sort of positive view of the album, I think, um, because of that. I mean, I I liked, you know, I liked it from the start. And I've got to say, I agree with you, Nick, that I think that it's very much, uh, it's an album two halves, and the first half is much better than the second half. The second half is fine. You know, I think... uh, Darkness and the Edge of Towns an extremely good song oh yeah I was going to say I think that yeah. that also is another great song but it was just that first half of the album yeah I mean I, I was listening to it on um, I was listening to it on YouTube Music which is the, the subscription music service that I subscribe to and you know I, I was giving up ticks you know thumbs up to, to 7 of the 10 songs and, and no thumbs down I genuinely like this album the, the whole sort of best albums of all time thing you know is this one of the 100 best albums of all time I think it, you know I think it's ridiculous to suggest that almost that any album is and it doesn't strike me as being that good but I, there isn't a bad song on it and uh, at its best, I think it really is, is great. And and I get Springsteen now. And uh, I think this will stay uh, in rotation listening, this album. I think the, the standout tracks for me are, are standing out enough that I'd actually want to listen to the album as well. But that first listen, you know, when Racing the Street finished, when The Promised Land came on, I was like, oh, you know, I, I don't really want to hear this song right now. The change of tone is too severe, and that's why I, I didn't, you know, as I said earlier, I, did, I didn't listen to the album in one go after that. I did the two halves separately, and yeah, the first half, first half's great, uh, it really is. I'm not a huge fan of Adam Raised the Cane, but I really like the other four songs on it, and, and uh, for me, my favourite song, and this is a funny one because I'd heard Racing the Street before, and the, the version of it that I'd heard before, I think it comes from... A performance of the whole album that he did at the Paramount Theatre in New York in 2009 that I'd heard Racing in the Streets and it's like a 10 minute long version of it and the ending doesn't like fade out quiet it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it's absolutely astonishing it is incredibly good um, and I love that I, mean, I love that build up you know the, the sort of the thing that you know spiritualized we're doing in the mid 90s or you know Godspeed you Black Emperor or whatever you know the sort of post rock starting quiet and getting loud and it's like that And but it also it never gets to that climax that it seems like it's building towards and, and that's really good thing because it keeps you wanting more a bit like um it's a bit like the guitar solo at the end of tunnel of love by dire straits that's also from the 70s i hate the 70s but i love that guitar solo in tunnel of love because it never it's like it never resolves itself and it never you know it never gets to where it feels like it's going and and it it leaves you with that sense of yearning 
And I think that um, Racing in the Street does that with me as well. Also, the song is absolutely heartbreaking as well. You know, lyrically uh, and also the delivery. Uh, it's, you know, those last few lines when uh, when he announces him and his babe are going to the sea to, you know, wash the sin off their hands and then actually know he's going out racing again and like nothing's going to change and her life's broken and because of him. I think it's a wonderful song. I think it's the best Bruce Springsteen song that I've heard. I'm still... Um... I'm still undecided on this album. I want to like it more than I do. And as, as I was saying at the beginning, there's not a single song that I like from start to finish. There's a lot of songs that I like at the beginning and then just lose interest on the way through. None of them, for me, really sustain themselves all the way through. I really like the intro to Something in the Night, but then once the intro is over, it just it just kind of drifts off and just becomes really plodding. Again, even even Candy's Room, uh, that the, the dumb... Da 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 dum 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 bit of it da 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 dum 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 is amazing, but there's a whole bit in the middle that just becomes quite dull and uninteresting, and it kind of I'm disappointed by every song because they never quite deliver on what they promise at the beginning, um, and that's the problem with the whole album for me. I think it doesn't it it just doesn't quite do it. I've listened to it I don't know a dozen times. Do you, do you think um, that's a thematic choice because that's what the album's about? <laughs> Possibly, it's deliberate, but it just doesn't. I want to like it. I do like it, but I just don't love it. It doesn't. It doesn't transcend into the next level of greatness that it clearly should do because it's a great album. I think it's just not. There's nothing in there that surprises me. I like music to be. I like music to do have something that's a little bit unique, and I don't think there's anything in this album that's unique. Whether that's just the style or the... You know, yes, there's some brilliant lyrics in there. His delivery is fantastic. The musicianship is superb. It's 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 less than the sum of its parts to me. There's nothing in there that suddenly thinks, oh, I never heard that before. When you put it like that, Chris, you are a tough crowd. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, something... Uh, Do you think you'd have felt this way if you were listening to it in 1978? Is it just familiarity breeding contempt here? Because... You know, it's the foundation for Springsteen's career and, like, it sounds like Springsteen, but prior to that, Springsteen didn't sound like that. But I haven't really heard enough Springsteen to say that I'm massively familiar. I know his hits from the 80s and that's about it. So, you know, I probably know sort of 15 Springsteen songs. So it's not like I've heard so much Springsteen that it's just familiar. But it's just that kind of mid-tempo sort of softy rock. I mean, it's like Bob Dylan, Van Morrison... Bruce Springsteen, it's that kind of bluesy, rocky bloke singing about stuff. In, and it just doesn't, there's not enough in there for me. There's nothing that I've, there's, there's not enough humour in there. There's not enough surprises in, the, in the, 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 the lyricism or the delivery. You know, there's no, sh- there's a real showmanship there. It's very kind of just straight on the nose. You know, I've got a story to tell. I'm going to sing it straight. And here's your story. You know, there's no... There's no theatre in there. I like a bit of a bit of sparkle, a bit of theatre, a bit of fireworks, a bit of suddenly pulling a hat out of a rabbit halfway through it. And there's none of I that. Don't think just... I don't think he developed that stuff at that point. I think he was pretty straight at that point. I think he was quite straightforward guy. Apparently he didn't really drink much and tear about. He was just obsessed with music. Well, I, I'd read a little bit that he'd been listening to a lot of punk records. Yeah, I read about that as well, yeah. Uh, and that had influenced this album, but this is as close to punk as he ever got. <laughs> and it's not really punk, is it? It's, no. You know, uh, in fact, I, I read somewhere that they were afterwards a little bit 
regretful that about the tempo of the record and that should have they thought it should have been it's faster. It's quite slow. Yeah. Most of it is very and slow, they, and it just they, spe- it, they, they sped up when they went live with it, and it sounds better. And I think uh-huh. again, I was going back to that live recording where they're playing a lot of this those songs faster, and you kind of well, that's what you'd expect in a big stadium, but actually it yeah. improves it. I think it lacks tempo and it lacks an edge to me. Those are my that's what that's what holds me back on it. I, I think perhaps it's um it's also maybe the problem of making the transition to from being live band to recording and capturing that magic. Because mm. obviously I've I've never been to a Bruce Springsteen gig and he does have a reputation for being astonishing live. Is it just that? Because I I've mentioned Finn Lizzie twice tonight, here they are again. But Finn Lizzie, famously great, great live band, but never captured it on record. The only record that captures the rockin' life of Finn Lizzie is Live and Dangerous, their live album, even though a lot of it is actually overdubbed, um, although exactly how much um, is lost to history. But it's famously a live album that's not entirely live. But, it, it you know, there, there is a magic about it. It's, it's just so, I don't know, it rocks. It's an amazing album. Um, whereas they, Wait, they, never, they never got close to Bruce? that. Thin Lizzy. They never oh, got yeah. close to that on any of the studio albums. And it's just disappointing because, you know, that you hear the same songs and they're just, they're a bit dry, they're a bit quiet. They don't, you know, they, they, they kind of talk to you when they should be screaming at you, you know. And I wonder if it's the same thing with uh, Springsteen that they never qu- quite captured in the studio what they had live. Chris, do you think Bruce suffers from a Bono thing of being too sincere? <laughs> too humorless? <laughs> there is a uh, yeah. Bono certainly suffers from a Bono thing of being too sincere and too humorous. Um, but See, I, I think it's I the sort of thing I, that's affected Chris Martin, for instance. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. I mean, Springsteen isn't Springsteen isn't a, a preacher, is he? He's not. He's not there trying to save the bloody world. He's just doing his thing, which is which is fine, and I respect him for that. And I'm far, I, I've, I've got far more time for Springsteen than Chris Martin or Bono because he's just about the music and brilliant. Well, I, th- I think, but I think I Springsteen has aged thing, well in terms of the way he'd come across. I think he was quite yeah. a sincere guy back in them days. Serious times though, late seventies. You know, there was a lot of shit going down. It was a heavy time, especially in New York. Did he still live in New York through this? He was. He's New Jersey. Yeah, New Jersey. New Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. of course. So of course. yeah, but so why yeah. I started laughing I... when you kind of all said Candy's room. You know, if I'd have been the sort of studio tech when they cut Candy's room, it would have been, oh my god, there's a fire! Oh, I'm sorry, sorry, Mr. Springsteen. Um, yeah, no, um, somebody kind of cut some lighting fluid and it got on the tape, and then there was a match, and it just and Bruce would go something like. Yeah, don't worry, I'll just, you know, re-record it. And as he's walking away, he says, yeah, the next time it will just explode. Because it was, it, it's a terrible song. <laughs> I, honestly, it's a terrible... And, and Because the Night wasn't on because of that. That song replaced potentially Because the Night. And the other one that I, I think is going home tonight is um, Streets of Fire. That can join Candy's Room. And, and, and whatever the equivalent of on the cutting room floor is for a recording studio, I hated them. I'd written the word. I made some 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 very um, brief notes tonight, and I've written the word "good" against "streets of fire." <laughs> I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't elaborated at all on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just shows how, how, we are, 
I'm, Good. The, I'm the odd, odd dog out here. Um, the, the song, the two songs that I liked most was The Promised Land and Factory. Factory was my favourite song. Factory's I great. I think it, it's because it hit me, and, and that, that's the genius of Springsteen, isn't it? It just hits you emotionally, um, you know, if you've had a life where you've experienced these things. Because I, I just kind of went straight back to my dad going out of the house in the morning, going to work in a sort of Schrader's rubber factory at the edge of town, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I, I like the song and it kind of emotionally connected with me. Well, for me, factory, it's the, the punch uh, and the pun is intended line about, you know, somebody's going to get hurt tonight. Um, yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the sort of suggestion of... Um, well, on the one hand, you know, going out drinking hard and fighting, but also the suggestion of domestic violence that these yeah, men are going and home and yes, beating their and wives, again, beating their kids. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah. That, that resonated with me too. Um, and I'd it does not go into that, but it does um, seem that you know it doesn't look like the song's going there, and it's like the the music is kind of like deliberately hiding um, something that's yeah. much more, you know, it's, it's much more serious. Than not it seems sinister, to be. but um, no. Yeah. The, the other thing about the album in general, and, and this is going to surprise you almost as much as Candy's Room, um, bass was too loud. By, bass, the bass was way up front too much. They needed a better mix. More, you know, they should have brought the guitars and the, you know, there's a Hammond organ in there for a, a few of the songs, a lot of the songs that you can you strain to hear, and you know that's that's a sin against keyboards. You know, if you've got a Hammond organ, it's got to be. Up there, but um, so yeah, I thought the the, the actual mix was um, too subdued, and you know, kind yeah, yeah, it makes me wonder if you know they apparently recorded you know to completion fifty two songs, and if they just took on too much, and even though they did narrow that down to ten, obviously, if they just you know they haven't been able to put enough time into everything, and because it's not a great sounding album, it's not terrible though, it's not unlistenable. So no, no, oh, well, it's, it's clean, fine, but... it's very clean. Yeah, you know, kind of, um, and you know, kind of. Apart from those two songs that I really don't like, you know, the rest of the album is great. I'm not sure I have the uh, inclination to listen to the other forty tracks that didn't make it to the album. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, oh, I, I, I don't think I would. Although his his the song I haven't listened to. I did, I was intending to watch the film called The Promise, which is about the making of the album. And it's got a bit of like concert footage and all that kind of stuff in it as well, um, and it's named after one of the songs that didn't make the cut, and and it's apparently one of it. It has been released since in like the nineties or two thousand something like that. It came out, you know, the all these songs that were recorded then and not used eventually got released. But it's regarded as you know one of the great lost songs that you know the best thing he ever did, but never got released kind of thing. And and I do wonder, uh, you know, how much good stuff got discarded and then you know he went and wrote. A new album so it never got used i just can't imagine you imagine writing that many songs and then just not using them in in terms oh. of all of us you know kind of you've got that thing the the title track of the album you know it, i don't know why title tracks get chosen as title tracks i used to think it was because it was the best you know the best song on the album or whatever but thinking about this title track darkness at the edge of, of town what do we all think about it as a as the sort of yeah, what would be the top yeah nominated top track? I've written the word good. Against <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, it's it's the title track because thematically that's what the album's about, isn't it? And like, there's people you, on the fringes. You, you could have had racing in the street. You could have had the promised land. No, but it's a 
Yeah, but it is a dark, brooding album. I did generally, the joking aside, I, did, I thought that was one of my one of the better tracks. Dark okay. at the Edge of Town. It well, was, I think, um, I think it's, it's a, a very song. strong final track yeah. to have on the album. Um, albums that albums that just peter out irritate me. Albums that end with a really good, stonking, solid track, yeah. like this one does. Um, well, I know I read somewhere that he'd come up with the title of this song and really liked it and, and sort of kept it in mind for it and he was waiting for the right song to come along and then ah. um, he, he sort of had the he kind of come up with a song and he, he thought about the theme of the album the whole that all of that thinking had gone into it so that song was written for this album but he'd been sort of he'd come up with it sort of years before the, the, just that line darkness on the edge of town and that was something he'd been saving yeah it is a great title for a song Chris, your favourite song then is... Well, I, th- I think I'm going to go for Darkness at the Edge of Town just because it's a good song. Streets of Fire, good. <laughs> Racing in the Street, good. <laughs> Ballad, b- 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 Badlands, Rollicking was my note yeah, there. Rollicking. I quite like Badlands. Good, good, good strong ro- style. I wrote, I wrote Rousing. Um, rousing, yeah, Rousing, Rollicking, similarly. I've written Plodding against several songs, which clearly isn't very good. But um, yeah, I think overall I was a little bit disappointed. Is my my kind of final word on the album. I wanted to love it and I didn't. I was underwhelmed. Will, your final word on the album. Oh, well, as I said, um, favourite song, Factory. Um, I think someone, some skill could take that album now and kind of remix it and make it a lot better. Because it's it's that that's falling down for me, like the tempo. Um, stuff like that. I'm not sure you can mix greatness into an album. You can mix greatness out of an album, though, by doing it badly. I, I, I think it could be done better and maybe um, you know, re-recorded even, tempo change a little bit. It's a very thin sound, and that's what surprised me because I was expecting the big sort of Bruce Springsteen blast, and it's quite thin. Go on, what have you got, Nick? Favourite well, track. track is said Candy's Room. I do like songs with candy in the title. <laughs> I must That's a good point as well. Yeah. No, I, I yeah, that that song for for lots of reasons, particularly the the drumming on it. Um, I really uh, was digging it. And uh, yeah, first half of the album, fantastic. A big album. Uh, I'm racing in the street. I think is is the best yeah. one. Although, yeah. as I said, I, I, I somewhat slanted by knowing the song before, so I already well, I I heard it once before. It's not like I knew it, but but I liked it a lot. And what I love about it is is a thing that doesn't really happen on the versions on the album. So, but I still find it it's very affecting. I think it, I think it is a very very strong song. It's a close run thing. Candy's Room, Darkness and Age of Time. Though I think. Um, and yeah, the album as a whole, I was very pleased with. You know, I, I was going to say pleasantly surprised. I don't know if that's right because I wanted to like it, but I kind of was ready to find it a bit dull and just find that Bruce Springsteen's not for me. And instead, I kind of I get Springsteen now. I, I understand where people are coming from when they get terribly excited about him, even if I don't feel as strong as that myself. I can see why he has the appeal with uh, critics and so on. Um, just because of the you know the themes he's singing about and the 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 you know the lyricism and everything about it and the you know it's all very sincere and you know to our twenty first century eye yes it's it's very easy to to sort of sneer at that but um, I think there's no doubt that he he definitely cares about the things that he's singing about about the the people and the lives that he is 
singing about and uh, I just think that that's an admirable thing um, so I take my hat off to Bruce I think uh, this is a good album and I said earlier I, I reckon I'll, I'll have that around and I'll listen to it you know just uh, be one of those albums I'll just stick on now and again because I consider it to be something of a favourite I think it's fantastic first aspect in the second half though well, I think the that, that thing about uh, the fact that people it's, the older I get the more important I realise it is that to have people that care hmm and uh, I really admire him for that. Me too. And I've always liked him for that, even if, um, or as long as I've sort of, you know, uh, my, the adult me who's got are a bit we going? Are people going to go and listen to more Springsteen now? Or you all going, right, that's enough. I've had a, I need a break. Probably not immediately, but I'll, I'll give Born to Run a listen. I'd like to go in search of a Springsteen album that I really like, because I want to like him. And I kind of, it's probably my inadequacies. <laughs> Yeah, I'm probably not ready, I don't think, for Springsteen in the way that I'm not ready for Dylan and I'm not ready for Leonard Cohen. Um, That's a shame. That's the next three albums. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, clearly he's a great musician and any right-minded person would appreciate that and would admire him and would, would agree that his albums, especially this one, are fantastic. But I'm not there. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I mean, as you know, I'll repeat myself for the, the recording. Um, yeah, I'll uh, I'll definitely check out Born to Run and uh, probably Nebraska. I'm intrigued by Nebraska. Nebraska is an incredible. Actually, Chris, that for the sort of sparse Americana, that's maybe different enough that you might and the and the sheer miserableness of it. Oh, <laughs> check that. See you down the ground, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Nebraska. So what era of Springsteen is that? Is that 90s? No, that's 82 or something. It's early 80s. Yeah, it's it's one or two albums after Yeah, yeah. Um, Right. And it's just him. But it's just him. It's not... There's no band. band. Um, Right. Yeah, I'll check that. I'm not sure that would be my cup of tea because that whole sort of like man and his guitar thing is... It's not necessarily my bag, you know, with that band, but I think I'll check it out because it does have the reputation it has. And I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm open to listen to to any of his stuff. I might even give his new album a listen. I I would also just go back and find the live albums. Yeah, I think that that actually really. I keep going on about that one that came out in '85 or '86, um, which is just incredible. Um, but I think there's some later live albums as well, which are pretty good as well. I, I would implore the three of you to go get onto YouTube and find that 2009 Paramount Theatre performance of Racing in the Street. Yeah, I'm definitely um, going to do that. And, and give it a listen. I think it is astonishing. Uh, it's a band, you know, they're, they're, they're a great band. Um, and, the, you know, the, the sort of, it's almost five minutes at the end, you know, after the the song has finished and the, the instrument, the, you know, the instrument, the instrumental outro. It's just remarkable. It's amazing. And yeah, I hope you like it as much as I do, but I would really encourage you to give it a listen. I will do so. Good. So that's our breakdown of darkness on the edge of town. Uh, fascinating stuff from us all. Many insights. Uh, an entirely predictable reaction from each of you because I know you <laughs> I so I can well. bring it. <laughs> so for our next album, I uh, I employed a, a team of crack scientists to come up with a random number generator to pick as a year between 
1964 and 2014, and the the year it chose was 1974. And it's Will, who has the pleasure of picking the album. So, Will, what's it to be? Yeah, well, um, 1974. Um, a very just, Will just, year, I felt. A very Will year. Just a, an amazing um, selection of artists and albums to actually choose from. And a lot of stuff that I hadn't really heard too much. And I, I did think, yeah, let's just get one of those bands that you've heard of, but you actually don't know anything about, and, and pick one of those out. But then I started getting drawn to things, you know, kind of maybe a little bit more personal. And, you know, kind of in the in the sort of punk thing of 79 through to 80, um, early 80s, you know, you had a lot of bands talking about how this particular artist had influenced them greatly um and i know there's a band that um from birmingham called the prefects who then became the nightingales um you know they they were very taken by this particular artist some other punk bands referred to his music so um this particular album was a apparently a commercial um nightmare It, it it charted at 195 um for this so, um, but it's it's an album I've never heard, but it's an album that I've heard people talking about. Um, and so it's that thing of, okay, I'd like to listen to it. I'd like to know what the, what the fuss about is. So it's Blue Jeans and Moonbeams by Captain Beefheart. <laughs> oh, yes, a difficult one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's supposed to be his most commercial work. There's a, there's a lot of space to make more commercial work. <laughs> I had a um, Captain Beefheart t-shirt when I was about 11. How many sleeves did I which have? Was, <laughs> which was, which was <laughs> no sleeves, it was a cap sleeve t-shirt. <laughs> I think it was a Captain Beefheart t-shirt. It was given to me by one of my brother's mates. Ah, right. um, and I didn't know who Captain Beefheart was then, but I quite liked the t-shirt. Well, <laughs> it's a start. Excellent. <laughs> This is this is not a Captain Beefheart story. This is a T-shirt story. But I had a never uh, Sex Pistols, never mind the Bollocks T-shirt when I was thirteen, and my granny refused to iron it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you wow. must have thought good because that's one T-shirt in the world you should never iron. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Beefheart came over in. 82 and the album Ice Cream for Crow um, and I saw him and it was one of the most extraordinary brilliant performances I've, I've ever seen yeah I an interesting choice um, I mean obviously I think probably like Nick and Chris I just assumed you'd choose that Elton John album Caribou <laughs> um, <laughs> so we'll look forward to that then um, we'll all be looking to pick our favourite albums of the year as well about the music that was around. What year is this?